0: Thanks for joining us here at KVCR for KVC Arts, arts and entertainment, as well as the people and places providing it. I'm David Fleming and welcoming Sean Michael Perry with new material coming out soon and hopefully a tour which will bring him to this area soon. Tonight, it's an introduction. Now, if you go to his website, seanmichaelperry.com, that's S-H-A-W-N, michaelperry.com, you'll see that he's a musician, an actor, a voiceover artist, producer. So let's go into it this way. Sean, what aspects of the arts was first for you? Or let's say what came first to you?
1: Uh, Music. The first memories of music I can think of is living in Guam, USA, my father being in the Navy. And I begged and begged and begged him to stay up to watch the Flip Wilson show because Michael Jackson was going to be on singing ABC. Mm -hmm. And when I saw him do that, There was just no doubt in my mind at six years old, almost seven, that that's what I wanted to do. That's my first recollection of uh, joy, of watching someone perform.
0: I finally noticed after listening to your disc and going to the website, I finally was looking at the pictures and it finally struck me that You're playing a guitar upside down, (laughs) and that is for the listener's sake. You're a lefty picking up a guitar strung for a right-handed player, and you're holding it upside down. Why? Did you start on some older brother's guitar or something? He was a right-handed player. Uh, Why are you doing that?
1: I just always felt strongly about being left-handed, and the first time I saw someone play that way, my dad took me into this uh, bar in Missoula, Montana called The Top Hat, and there was a guy there named Eddie Clearwater, Okay. that was performing, and he also plays this way. After the show, I went up to him, and I tugged on his shirt, you know, hey, sir, how do you, you know, how do you do? That was wonderful. I mean, how do you do that? Yeah. And he said, son, you got to get to it to get through it. And in other words, you know, pay attention to what I just did because there's everything you need to know. So I just replayed all of that in my mind over and over again as a young boy and started to pick up the guitar, start noodling around with it in that fashion. And luckily for me, I have what they call perfect pitch. So anything that I hear, I can pretty much figure out. That was the start of it. And so what I would do with the guitar and or the piano, if I was able to get a hold of one, was uh, in the morning we had an NPR show up on our reservation. It was the classics. And so that gave me a degree of maturity at a young age understanding music. And so that's, I think... To this day, I have nuances of all that understanding in, in my songs.
0: Did you ever string a guitar the right way for you to play it, or did you just stay with the upside-down thing? Because I know cording would have been different for you. I'm sure you were going right to notes.
1: Yes, You know, I don't don't hold the guitar probably properly and use all four of my fingers, five, excuse me, my thumb. Uh Uh, But I try to do the best I can with it. I've really worked on my other finger work uh, as I've gotten older and really tried to expand my knowledge of music that way. But no, I never did try to do it the other way. Maybe it wouldn't be as difficult as I thought it would be or what have you. I'm not sure why, in essence, why I did it that way. It just seemed like the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Well, Uh and And it's worked
0: for you all this time. yeah. So, you know, if it ain't broken, why fix it? (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Now, you've had a
0: fair amount of some extra work in some major, major films Mm -hmm. and TV as well. Uh,
1: Give us some highlights. Sure. I'll start out with the co-starring roles, actually. First being Murder, She Wrote. Long story short with that, Angela Lansbury, you know, one of our most prolific actors ever, uh, singer, dancer, writer, producer. Anyway, I went and auditioned for the film that day, and the TV show was called Northern Explosion, if you look it up on YouTube (laughs) or whatever. Basically, about this Indian guy that was accused of killing somebody through a logging situation, and he, uh, he didn't do it, and I was his buddy. At the time, I didn't have a SAG card, okay. and I got the job. And so I told my agent, I was like, well, I need you to flip the, I think it was 1400 back then, to get the card. I said, because, you know, we're going to get paid next week, right? And so luckily, she did that and bought my card for me because there's a catch-22 there. You got to have a card to do a show, but you got to do a show to have a card exactly. kind of thing, right? Eh? yeah. So that was really nice. And anyway, I did the audition and was horrible at it. Uh, <laughs> dropped my lines, you know, forgot, you know, was staring off into space, nervous, all that stuff. And she was in there with her husband who produced the show with her. So afterwards, I'm just really dejected. And I go to my job at the APLA Awards, opening up limousine doors in the backstage area. Mm-hmm. I open up the door to the one limo and out pops Angela Lansbury. Swear oh. to God. She said, Sean Perry, you got the job. Great audition today. And I was like, I was just shocked, flabbergasted. Monday I went in, and she goes, you know, here's your paperwork. And was sitting there at her desk while I was filling stuff out and visiting with me a little bit. And I told her, I said, you know, I really didn't think I got this job. And she goes, oh, you silly boy like that. She goes, let me tell you a story. She goes, I can't memorize lines to save my life. She goes, that's why I have a show called Murder, She Wrote, where I'm in front of a typewriter or reading a book or what have you. She goes, I've always been that way. And I thought back to, wow, all those musicals where she was jamming all over the place, dancing and doing all this stuff. And I was like, how did you do that? And she goes, I did whatever it took. She goes, whether I wrote it on some guy's arm that walked past the stage with me every time I made my passes, or I wrote it on my leg, or I did whatever I had to do. Wow. And I was like, wow, exactly. So what a bunch of confidence that she instilled in me that day to move forward as an actor and as an entertainer.
0: You would think... My gosh. Uh, as someone who can't get their lines down, you would think, OK, I'm just going to find another profession. <laughs> yeah. And she's amongst the biggest that exactly. anybody could name. Wow. So
1: what a great little piece of information there, you know. The second thing I did, I co-starred on this show called My Indian Summer with Adam Beach and Tylin Prairie Flower, I believe her name was at the time, that was a CBS after school special. And I thought that was really cool because it touched a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. And it was about this young Indian girl that lived in the city that was, you know, definitely city Mm -hmm. and needed to go back to her roots and find out who she was in Minnesota. So it was a nice feel-good story about that. And I was really proud to be involved with that.
0: How long ago was that that you were working with Adam Beach? I mean, some would know Adam from Mm -hmm. Smoke Signals, Mm -hmm. some later on for his Law and Order stuff. Yeah, or or Flags of Our Father. Uh, Right.
1: Canadian-born actor, does a lot of the native parts in the States. Really good guy. And that was in 96, 97. Um, I started out actually as a stuntman in my first film, which was called Last of the Mohicans. Okay. And there were 12 of us that were hired for those uh, really up close fight scenes that you see throughout the movie. And what we did is each of us took a couple of platoons worth of men and each one of us had to train them in the hand-to-hand combat and running through the woods with musket rifles and loading them and all of that. And wow, what a man or woman that could pull that off at any time in history for that matter. So, you know, we thought we were getting into doing this cool movie thing, and before you knew it, we were in boot camp, and it was rough. And <laughs> but I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was awesome, but it was interesting. There's a fine line between reality and fantasy when it comes to movie making. Beyond acting, you've also provided some
0: original music for TV, I read, but I didn't get the details on that. Tell me about oh, that, Oh, yeah, please. sure. Pardon
1: me. Uh, well, the gentleman that produced my record, John Avila, oh, yeah. uh, bass player for Oingo Boingo, and uh, now does a lot of film and TV work, did a lot of the music or Six Feet Under on HBO. I okay. he did most of the music on that. Yeah. A few other things that I can't recall at the moment, but, you know, right there, a player for sure in the music business. Uh, his best friend, Danny Elfman, who's yeah. really big time into scoring music for film and TV. You know, they work in concert together. So with that being said, I was so lucky to hook up with him and make my record, and after we finished the record, he called me up and he goes, I'm scoring music for this TV show on Spike Television called the Poncho Gonzalez documentary, the famous tennis player from Mexico City who just whipped the pants off everybody, and he was like 20 years older than everybody at the time too, just incredible. So John uh, threw me a bone and, and took one of my songs, Fight, Mm -hmm. off the record, and uh, put it onto the TV show and uh, got paid really well. And it was my first introduction to doing something like that, which I was hooked, obviously, from the start.
0: Excellent. So this wasn't a case of seeing the film or seeing clips from the film and then writing something for it, more like you had this really cool song already and they just thought it was appropriate and took it Exactly.
1: But with that being said, I did something back in 19... I think it was 94... It was called "Looks into the Night." It was an AFI directorial workshop for women, and that I did score the music for, which we did like a native chant and you know some nice uh, guitar and drum type of stuff, you know, for her uh, segments in her film. So that was my first actual doing that work, like you ask, which is very interesting because you know you're set. A film before you and it's quiet. There's nothing there. And you're watching these moving pictures and it inspires you and moves you a certain way. And in my case, you know, the way I felt was like, oh, well, this is what it makes me feel like. So I want to transcribe my feelings into these notes. That's how I approached it at first.
0: Tell us about all that culture, music of the Americas and only the brave recordings and entertainment. I mean, these are intertwined with one. another. Sure.
1: Well, first of all, the parent company, is Only the Brave Recordings in Entertainment. Okay. That was my first company that I started, you know, making my music on and getting a few artists to jump into my label kind of thing so I could distribute them. Then All That Culture Music of the Americas, that's kind of a sister company that we enveloped into the Only the Brave Recordings Entertainment. And then the third company that I have also is called Only the Brave Music Consultants. And reason I brought that out to the forefront was that when I went to the National Association of Music Merchants, I noticed that 9,000 companies don't have one Native American consultant about music at all in all of those companies worldwide not
0: even like raven records or R. carlos and kai stuff I and mean, there's nobody
1: none of them and the interesting thing about it is we did a showcase for native musicians and native music makers at the nam show called the native pavilion and about 12 music makers showed up that actually made instruments whether it was drums or hybrid you know drum kits that look like native design Flutes, obviously, are big draw and are are probably the thing that's manufactured the most, you know, when it comes to quantity. And then there was some other different little things that, for example, there was a guitar called a Navatone guitar, Navajo-made. Oh, okay. And I thought, that's a great name. But when I inspected it further, I noticed that he did some nice design work on the guitar, but all the parts were from other people's companies. So he hadn't developed that part of it yet, but the ideal was smashing in the sense of could you imagine you know why couldn't we build a guitar factory on the navajo reservation somewhere on the land over there as opposed to shipping it off to china or what have you and then when you look at reservations nationwide wow think of all the things you could do whether it's gibson guitars or what have you and so i was like wow there's nobody consulting on this at all and still to this day, it's not really happening. So we've made our inroads, like I told you before, with Latin Percussion and KMC Fender, which is also Ovation guitars. And then Remo comes into the picture a little bit too, which are drum heads, which also supply heads to Latin Percussion for their congas and their stuff. Okay. And then Toka Percussion, which is also KMC Fender, which also falls under the conglomerate of Latin Percussion. Okay. And all those are in the same boat. So it was really interesting. You know, I kept asking and kept asking. I got told no more than I got told yes, you know, and I'd go home and think of another strategy to get back in there and try again. Finally, they accepted us. My pops always said this. He said, you know, your ideas are going to be worth everything. And that doesn't have to have brick and mortar around it to be successful.
0: Nice way of saying that. I'm David Fleming in conversation with actor, musician, and more, Sean Michael Perry, hopefully in the area in the near future, and definitely new material out soon. We heard earlier about some of his acting work and a bit into music. Now, Sean, into your music. Mm-hmm. You've already talked about him a bit, and uh, one of the folks who worked with you on Fight. Now, I noticed on this release, Only the Brave, special edition, I noticed that it's covering a number of years, so I guess these were recorded over a bunch of different years and then assembled for this release?
1: Yeah, what it was, I had the previous release in 2008, which was the same record, basically. And what that had a DVD along with it and, you know, was packaged differently and whatnot. And as I got ready to move on to my next musical project, I still felt there was a lot of worth left in this record that nobody had really heard it. So all I did was is I just revamped it, I remixed it, and I threw a new song on it and then put it out again. And that's why I have the copyright from 05, which, for example, the Freedom song I wrote way back then, you know, and I just did it for copyright's sake. So, yes, there are older songs that I've had that I felt the first run didn't really get the proper recognition it needed. And so we put more money and more effort into it this time and actually got it distributed nationally and so on and so forth.
0: How did you, uh, particular with Fight, maybe some of the other tunes, this is a really cool one by the way, I have a few favorites that I've picked out and Mm. a couple that you will hear over and over at Sean's website. But how did you end up with John Avila? Most folks would know him as the producer and bass player from Oingo Boingo. How Mm -hmm. did this start?
1: Yeah, I had a friend Interesting, when I first lived out here in 1990, I went to school at the Musicians Institute. And while I was there, I met a lot of really cool musicians. Uh, Randy Castillo, the drummer for Rossi Osborne in particular, a Taos Pueblo Indian. And we hit it off because of the Indian connection. So he would take me everywhere. Back in the day when Guns N' Roses was like just going crazy, you know, and uh, you couldn't even walk up and down Sunset Strip. It was, you know, 100 deep. And he introduced me to that whole rock and roll thing, you know, which was awesome. And I got to meet a lot of influential people in the business. And because I have good vocals, uh, I was able to get a lot of side work and do things with some famous people that, you know, kind of got my name out there as, hey, this guy can sing. As I was in Montebello, California, there was a group called Rat back in the day that that used to come out of that way. Mark Toreen, who actually became the singer of the Bullet Boys, Latin dude from over there that we used to run with quite a bit. And they just introduced me to a lot of people like the Delgado Brothers. From, I know Joey. Oh, man, yeah. can play like crazy. Yeah. And the first time I seen them at Route 66, I was like, I got to play with those guys. They're just it. That music that they do with Blind Dog smoking is another group that they roll okay. with. They are incredible. They just can get the crowd going, and they're just seasoned veterans, and that's kind of how all that took place. I have to mention the thing about Joey is a friend of mine is a guy
0: by the name of Gino Matteo. Well, oh, <laughs> God. Okay, there's going to be some stories here. Yeah, brother. Um, So
1: Chicago Chuck played with Gino Matteo, even stayed in his house. And even when I played a gig here, when we went out to Gathering of Nations, we rehearsed at Gino Matteo's house and his (laughs) sister's and her husband. Okay, yeah. And uh, that's another guy that can play the guitar. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Wow.
0: He's blown me away several times. And one of the times that I saw (laughs) Gino at the Tobacco Lounge in Riverside, Joey came up. Gino had just gotten through playing Soul Shine and and wandering through the entirety of the bar and even outside to serenade Jade, but he was blowing the house away, and then Joey takes his turn for the solo. Pretty soon, Gino stopped playing. He was holding his guitar, you know, the fret, and then he stopped because he was watching Joey Delgado, and he was just blown away, and he props his elbow on the neck of his own guitar. Just watching, speechless. Jason mm-hmm. Ritchie was up there, oh, and wow. he had his harmonica down to the yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Joey's such an unassuming, humble mm-hmm. man.
1: Yeah, what great, great <laughs> um, people to watch and be a part of their music. I just love what they're doing. That's
0: cool that that connection even came up, the mm-hmm. Delgado Brothers. I often tell people, the Delgado Brothers, if you're from East L.A., they may have played at your first wedding. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's a joke I stole from Los Lobos. But anyway. <laughs> So how did you, we started to talk about how you hooked up with John. Oh, yeah. And so, so John was one of the ones that you hooked up with yeah, on the Sunset Strip or whatever.
1: Yeah. So actually, I didn't see him at the Strip, but my other friend was playing in a band called The and Wounded back in the day. And his name is Louis Reese, okay. R-U-I-Z. And he was the second bass player for El Chicano. We were visiting, uh, and I knew him through Redbone, Lolly Vegas and Pat Vegas mm-hmm. and Redbone. And we had met at a club one time, and they came down and checked it out. So long story short, we started rehearsing and working together on some of my new music at the time, which you now have on the record. He goes, well, let's go to this party, man. He goes, my friend John Alvarez is throwing this party over here, and let's go. And so that's how I met him, was at a party. And we just nonchalantly said, yeah, bro, it's great to meet you, blah, blah, blah. If you ever need to record and call me, he told me like that. So a couple years later, I'm in a bar, in Butte, Montana, (laughs) looking for a friend. I'm not even in there really to do anything, but I'm just looking for a friend, and I get asked, uh, you know, it's an open mic night, right? So I get up there and start doing my guitar thing. Sure. And here comes this guy from France taking pictures. And, you know, the outside of the bar, the inside, whatever. And so I asked him, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm working for this Marlboro Classic Clothing Company out of Paris, France. And we have 1,000 stores all over uh, Europe. It's where the Wild West meets Gucci Leather, eh? And we love your music. And you have this recorded, right? Uh, yeah, sure. (laughs) Well, we want to purchase five of your songs and put them on this DVD that we're selling our clothes with, you know, kind of thing. You just got the next record paid for. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm like thinking quick, you know, because honestly speaking, I didn't have nothing recorded. And the only guy I could think of was John Avila. Okay. And so I called him out of the blue and I said, Dude, man, you're not gonna believe this and da 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 and he goes, I just happen to have ten days available. Can you get here next week? And that's how it all started. Cool. That's really cool. Mm-hmm.
0: And then is that how the fight ended up being part of the Pancho Gonzalez thing?
1: Yes, because I asked him, you know, I knew that he did that kind of work and at that time they were working on the collateral movie with Tom Cruise and Jamie Fox. Oh, Jamie Fox, yeah, yeah, thank you. And my friend Rene Reyes and he did most of the music. They were in a band called Green Car Motel. Okay. Around town here. And they do a lot of work in film and TV as well. So it was just neat to meet all those guys at once. And the drummer that worked on the recording, Jerry Angel. And Jerry Angel was Carol King's drummer for a long time. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. So some really cool people worked on my record, you know.
0: Wow. That's a lot of different types of experience coming through together for this record. Yeah. Now this record again. It fairly quickly became, I read, one of the top 10 albums sold on CD Baby. How does this work? I've never gone through CD Baby, I have to say.
1: Yeah, CD Baby is a download and a physical distribution hub for independent artists. And basically, the reason we got picked in the top 10 at that time was when Hastings first bought my first load of CDs, the first time, which was a couple hundred CDs. And when in that case, I mean, at CD Baby, I don't know how many thousands of artists, you know, pimp their stuff through there. Sure but you know maybe if the average artist probably sells a cd a month Uh and i'm not trying to be rude but it's just difficult to get your stuff out there sure so in our case you know that particular month we sold you know i don't know three four hundred cds in one month so it vaulted us into that position the question is, how do you keep that consistent? And that's back to the distribution again. And so now that we've done Hastings, now I'm able to go and parlay with a bigger distribution company, whether it's Super D or Koch Distribution. I think there's like maybe five really big distribution companies in the States that do everything. There's one in Atlanta. There's one in Los Angeles, Irvine area. There's one in, I think, in Colorado, Denver, and then the other one's in back east, to Koch, which is New York.
0: Now, from your websites... Sean has embraced his culture, past and present, with an eye to the future. With that being said, we sort of touched on this earlier with some of your acting roles, but now with your music, it's not all about the Native American. One song, The Indian, being a notable exception, need Mm -hmm. I say. (laughs) Uh, I find this refreshing, actually, and again, we've sort of touched on it. I mean, there's here's someone with more to say. Like, there's a lot of people out there that hear Cedar Flute, right. whether it's Bill Cody or Carlos Nakai or whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's their notion of American Indian music. Right. You have songs about a variety of topics and thoughts. Talk to me about where your music comes from. It's, you're not trying to represent just Native American culture. You're talking about everyday life.
1: You bet. I think at the end of the day, a great story encompasses everyone, you know, whether it's a movie like The Help and or Pinky and the Brain. You know, there's a <laughs> heck of a sideshow show there for you. But what I mean by that is that that's a great show also for young people. Uh-huh. But the bottom line is is that everybody on the block, if you will, is involved in the show. Mm-hmm. And these are what make successful shows. And we Indian people, in my opinion, have yet to do that when it comes to film, TV, radio, and or putting out musical explanations of who, what, why, and where. Right. We are too focused just on us. And yes, we need to get our story out there. And yes, we need to tell the truth and be accepted and be mainstream and so on and so forth. And also have a respect and a hearkening for our culture and our tradition. But I think I always look at a show like Archie Bunker. Okay. Now, that was very controversial when it came out. Oh, yeah. But at the end of the day, this old gruff white man was like everybody else. And he even had to admit that even though he was pompous and an ass about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. He still admitted at the end of the show that I have to get along with the black man over here or the gay guy over here or mm-hmm. the the woman that's raising her child by herself at the time, you know, which was a, you didn't do that, you were married or you weren't. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, th- social issues such as that. And, you know, we look at shows like Chico and the Man. There's another one that yeah, did that. Yeah, there I, we go, Freddie Prinze. Mm -hmm. And then now even up to uh, Hell on Wheels, which even though it's set in a period piece, it is still involving all kinds of different people to get to the whole. And that's what I want to do with our music. And that's what I tried to do with my record was touch upon being a native, but more touch upon about the human aspect of me and what I went through to become this man that I am today. And I think that that's what people want to listen to and recollect on, is like, oh, this guy's like me. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if our presidential candidates would do something like that, eh? (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. wouldn't that be nice? I have the lyrics for Mm -hmm. three of your tunes in Mm -hmm. front of me, and thanks for getting those sent to me. Thank you very much. Sure. And so I'd like to hear a little bit about If I. Mm. It's a love song, but it's not quite... Now, a love song is not an accurate way to put it. You're talking about hell hath no fury like a woman scorned and asking if I can run back to you. Mm. Where did this come from? Is this a real experience?
1: Yeah, this is about my mom and dad. Oh, no. We'll get deep here for a minute. I love my mom and dad. And my father passed away at 95 of cirrhosis of the liver, drinking. When he first found out that he had gotten this, he didn't tell nobody, obviously. And he wanted sympathy from someone. So unfortunately, he didn't get it from my mother. He went to a stranger's uh, bed, hooked up with another lady. So that line where it says, you know, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. My mom was scorned by that. And my father, as he was dying, re-asked my mother, would you please marry me again? Because I screwed up. And that's what that's about. You know, unfortunately they weren't able to do that because he passed away before they could do that. I will tell you this, that my mom wanted to. She said yes. Yes, she did. And that made me feel really good because I thought all was lost there. Yeah, and so it's about being friends and lovers and it's a fine line between hate and love, I suppose, on that level. And I grew up seeing that, you know, and that was not easy for me, you know, being a young boy and knowing that my dad did that. We talked about it later. And, you know, he was very sorry, and, you know, he's human. I disliked him greatly for that for a while. But when I saw him in his diaper, you know, and I had to change that diaper and be his father, I kind of understood what it was all about, and any animosity that I had towards him went out the window after that.
0: Wow. What's the rest of that sentence, if I?
1: It's just... If I choose to dance, would you lead or
0: follow? Okay, well, it's right there then, yeah. Yeah.
1: And so it was all those, what if I would have done this? You know, if I just would have done this, you know, and I remember him, there was a time when he was home by himself and he was talking to himself and he didn't know I was in the house. Mm. And a little bit of that came out. Gotcha.
0: Let's look at Freedom, another one of your songs. Mm Mm-hmm talk to me about this. I'd like to hear your explanation to it, but just at a glance, an audio glance for a person hearing it Mm -hmm. or just reading the words really quickly, it's something that applies, I think, to everybody.
1: Yes. I feel it's a mantle song, if you will. When I first wrote it, I'll be honest with you, I was lost in the Grand Canyon Wow! and was scared that I wasn't going to make it out of the Grand Canyon. I was all full of thinking I was somebody and thought I was in great shape and thought I could handle the heat and so on and so forth. And it kicked my butt big time. (laughs) And as I was down there, I started thinking about these words, freedom, how long will it last? Freedom. And I just felt like that maybe my freedom was waning and that I took advantage of it and I didn't realize what it was all about. So it was that introspection about my own personal freedom and then everyone else's too. You know, it's fading fast. Lights are fading fast. Yeah. Struggle to survive,
0: I want to stay alive, the lights are fading fast, how long will it last?
1: Mm -hmm. And at that time, it wasn't the lights in my, you know, I wasn't dying per se, but the lights were going down in the canyon and it was getting scary. Gotcha, (laughs) gotcha, okay. But as we grow with that song, and it's become a little more to me now, now I feel that it's the cry of our country. It's the cry of who we are as Americans. It's fleeting freedom. And I know so many people are locked into a job, are locked into doing something where they're not free. And so when we have a vacation or a time to spend with our family it has nothing to do with the job or just getting the family from A to B, but actually being free within ourselves and with our family, when do we really have that time amongst ourselves? And if we do, do we cherish it?
0: I unfortunately couldn't access the music we were talking about tonight, but again, seanmichaelperry.com to springboard into the music and all things Sean Michael Perry. That's Sean, S-H-A-W-N, Michael Perry.com. Also, again, new material out soon and hopefully a tour, which will bring him to this region. And with that, we wrap up another edition of KVC Arts. Thanks again to Sean Michael Perry. And here at KVCR, thanks to Lillian Vasquez, Rick Dulock and Sherina Awad. Music beds and themes heard on KVC Arts composed and performed by Sean Longstreet. So thanks to Sean as well. Many past shows can be found through iTunes, Spotify, and NPR One. And most past shows are at kvcrnews.org arts. I'm David Fleming. Thanks especially to you for listening and for your support, which you can do any time of the year. Go to kvcrnews.org support. And thanks again.